0: The title of the message is Justification by Faith. Justification by Faith. This past Tuesday, October the 31st, was the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, a seismic event in history whose consequences are still working themselves out in Europe and across the world. October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther, a German Augustinian monk and university professor, nailed a document known in history as the 95 Theses to the door of the Catholic Church in Wittenberg, Germany, intending to start a theological debate over the religious practice of selling indulgences. Indulgences were certificates granting a specified period of remission from purgatory, which means simply that um, if you purchased a certificate, then you would know that you or your loved ones would uh, spend a shorter time in purgatory. Uh, it was a teaching that had gone bad, and uh, as a result, uh, people were quite concerned. And Martin Luther wanted uh, to get the church and the scholars of his time to div- to debate this particular um, practice, you know, of the church. As a result of the invention of the printing press. Um, sometime earlier Luther's 95 theses were printed and distributed throughout Germany within a short span of time in fact we would have to say that the reformation could not have taken place without the printing press because people were now able to print things and get it in the hands of those who could read uh, almost overnight as tensions escalated the Pope excommunicated Luther and his followers from the Catholic Church. They were called Protestants because they protested the corruption in the Catholic Church, hoping for internal reform and spiritual renewal. And thus began the revolution known as the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century. The question that Martin Luther had to deal with for a number of years was how can a sinner find salvation and gain acceptance with the holy God the answer to this question may appear simple to most of us but to Martin Luther a 16th century law student at the University of Erfurt Germany in, in Germany This was a question his burdened soul wrestled with for many years. Luther had a keen sense of his sinfulness and knew that as a sinner he stood condemned before the divine judge. So the question was, how was he to meet the divine requirements of perfect righteousness and thus enter into a proper relationship of acceptance and fellowship with God. In search of an answer, Luther gave up his law studies at the University of Erfurt and entered an Augustinian monastery in 1505 to become a monk. He tried all of the prescriptions of the Roman Church, good works, penance, fasting, physical torture, but his soul was still heavy with the burden of sin. He pursued the study of theology, hoping to find an answer, and graduated with a doctorate in theology without having found the answer. he was given a teaching appointment at the University of Wittenberg to teach scripture and one day while studying Psalm 22 in preparation for his class the breakthrough came the first verse of Psalm 23 which says my God my God why have you forsaken me it gripped His mind with unusual force. Christ forsaken. What could this mean? Christ is without sin. How could he be forsaken by God? It gradually dawned on him that the only reason Christ was forsaken was that he became one with sinful humanity and took on himself the sin and guilt which belonged to us when he went to the cross. Full deliverance came two years later in 1515 as he prepared lectures on the epistle to the Romans. Day and night he pondered the meaning of Romans chapter 1 and verse 17 until the light broke through to his sinful soul. And Romans 1:17 says, "...for in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed." A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And those who are more familiar with the King James Version says, the just shall live by faith. For the first time in his life, Luther saw that the righteousness or that righteousness was not the result of good works, nor tears, nor prayers, nor Bible reading, nor uh, church attendance, nor the sacraments, but the result of faith in Jesus Christ. And all the sinner had to do was to accept it as a free gift. And immediately, Luther felt relieved of the terrible load of guilt that he had carried for many years. As Philip Schaff, the great church historian, American church historian, uh, puts it, he was led out of the dark prison house of self-inflicted penance into the daylight and fresh air of God's redeeming love. End of quote. Luther was gloriously saved. And from that day on, the doctrine of justification by faith became for him the sum and the substance of the gospel and the very heart of Christian theology. He sought to bring home to the hearts and consciences of the people of Germany the simple truth that there is forgiveness with God through faith in the blood of Christ. It is fitting, therefore, on this the five hundredth anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, that as the heirs of the Reformation we should revisit this main doctrine of the Reformation, justification by faith. In Romans chapter five and, and verse and verse one, Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That was the NIV, Now the New Living Translation says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. I want to unpack the meaning of, the, of justification by faith by using four, four points. And the first is the meaning of justification. The meaning of justification. Now the word justification is a legal term which has to do with the declaration or pronouncement of judgment. It means to pronounce someone not guilty. Picture with me a court scene. A prisoner is taken before a court for crimes of which the punishment is death. How do you plead? asked the judge. Guilty, Your Honor. Do you understand that the penalty for these crimes is death? Yes, Your Honor. Is there anything you would like to say to the court before sentencing the prisoner stands speechless then to the absolute surprise of the prisoner the judge declares that someone has already been punished for the same crime and therefore he can go free the verdict is not guilty he said that's a picture of us before the bar of divine justice When the Bible says a person is justified, it means that as far as God is concerned, that person has no debt to pay, no penalty to fear, no condemnation to avoid. He or she is justified, made right in the presence of God. And that being so, the sinner is now in a position to enjoy God's favor and is treated as though he had never sinned a moment in his life. And I'd like you to note, however, that justification is not the same as pardon. It is much more than God forgiving us of our sins. As sinners, we are urgently in need of forgiveness, but we need more. We need to hear more than the voice which says, You are forgiven. We need to hear, you are welcome into my presence and fellowship. So let me illustrate. In the 1890s, Captain Alfred Dreyfus of the French Army was charged with treason for having sold military secrets to the Germans. He was court-martialed and found guilty. His regiment was paraded and in their presence, the marks of rank were torn from his tunic, his sword was taken from his side and cast at his feet. Totally disgraced, he was sentenced to a long term of imprisonment on Devil's Island, just off the coast of French Guiana. He was there for a number of years, when the French novelist Emile Zola convinced that an injustice had been done took up his case. After a long discussion in the French press, the Dreyfus case was reopened. He was brought back from Devil's Island and retried. It was proven conclusively that Captain Alfred Dreyfus was innocent and that someone else had sold the military secrets to the enemy. But the guilt had to be fastened on someone, and due to the strong anti-Semitic feelings in France at the time, Dreyfus, who was a Jew, was selected to be the fall guy. And so in spite of the evidence proving his innocence, Dreyfus was found guilty a second time. But the very next day, the president of France pardoned Dreyfus But Dreyfus refused to accept his pardon. He said, I will not accept your pardon. If I am guilty, I am willing to go back to Devil's Island and pay the penalty for my crime. Ultimately, another trial was ordered, and at last justice was done, and Dreyfus was declared not guilty. He was recommissioned as a captain in the French Army in the presence of his regiment. Dreyfus was at last justified, not pardoned, but declared not guilty in the eyes of the law. This is what God does when he justifies us, when he declares us not guilty of any crime against him. So Romans chapter 4 and, and verse uh, 25 says, He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life For our justification. And then the New Living Translation translates it He was handed over to die because of our sins, and He was raised from the dead to make us right with God. The second point is the basis of this divine act of justification. We have looked at the meaning of justification and now the basis of the divine act of justification. So the question is, how can God pronounce us righteous when we know that we are guilty sinners? This This is what is amazing about the grace of God. He puts his son, Jesus Christ, in our place. Jesus took upon himself our nature, came under the law, and by a sovereign act of Jehovah, laid on him the iniquity of us all. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 18 says in the NIV, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. And then First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Christ took our sins and transferred to us his righteousness so that When God looks at us, he does not see us in our sins, but rather he sees us clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, who died for us. We have been taken into the highest court, and there we have been cleared through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, during the American Civil War, men were drafted into, into service. And uh, a long time ago, I did a, um, a paper for a conference looking at um, blacks in the Civil War. And um, it was the practice then for the slave owners, uh, if their children were drafted, to get a slave uh, to um, go to war uh, in their place. And uh, there are a number of um, slaves who were, who were freed because they had served in the, in the armed forces uh, for, their ma- for their master. But um, a man in Mercer County, Pennsylvania, was called up. And because of illness at home, he asked the administration to allow him to send someone to take his place. They agreed, and the substitute went in in place of the man who had been drafted. In a short time, the substitute was killed in battle, and the government made a note of it. But by some oversight on the part of the government, the name of the man who was excused was placed in the draft again, and his name was drawn a second time. And he went before the authorities and and said, you can't draft me, I'm a dead man. What do you mean, came the reply. He said, look up your records, and you will see I enlisted, I fought, and I died in the person of my substitute. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ is our substitute. He took our place and paid the penalty for our sins. And the penalty cannot be exacted twice. So divine justice declares us free from condemnation forever. In Romans chapter 8, 33 and 34, Paul says, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. The third point is the condition of our justification. The condition of our justification. What do we have to do in order to be justified by God. Paul tells us in, in uh, Romans chapter 3 and verse 28, first in the NIV and then in the New Living Translation, he says, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. And then, so we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. So There is no justification without faith It is through faith that we appropriate the grace of God Faith may be defined as practical confidence or or trust Some of you may recall some years back That I was suffering severe pain from a herniated uh, disc Or herniated discs in uh, in my neck uh, Which required surgery I was referred to a neurosurgeon at Mass General Hospital who was um, also an associate professor of surgery at uh, Harvard Medical School. He had impressive credentials, including having successfully performed hundreds of surgical procedures like mine. The more I spoke with him over several weeks, the more my faith in his ability increased. And so I had no fear, whatever, when I placed my life into his expert hands. And this is what faith is about. See, justification by faith or through faith means our placing genuine practical trust in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross and the acceptance of his righteousness as our very own. This justifying faith means a sure trust and confidence in on my part that christ died for my sins that he loved me and gave himself for me and the person who believes this is perfectly and completely justified that is accepted by god not only for time but for eternity Faith is the simple trust that Jesus Christ died for my sins and that his perfect righteousness has been credited to my account. But the the fourth point is the result of our justification. The result of our justification. Romans 5 and verse 1 again. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, being justified or made right with God, we are forever in a state of peace with God because there cannot be any more demands made against us. All that was against us, Christ has taken away. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Not only are we in a state of peace with God, but we have a sense of peace. The moment we accept Christ as our personal Savior, we experience a sense of peace with God. There is established within our hearts a sense of harmony between God and ourselves and the peace that comes from god is beyond human understanding or comprehension it literally baffles our mind and intelligence because of how it prevails even in the midst of hardships suffering adversity and even death itself the peace this peace has a calming and comforting Effect on those who put their trust and confidence in God, no matter what their circumstances may be. It's a peace that difficulties cannot disturb, a peace that obstacles cannot overcome, a peace that fear cannot frustrate. It's a peace that can relax the nerves, that can dissolve the doubts, and can calm the emotions as well as provide a song in the darkest of nights. It's a peace that strengthens one's faith, that can dry one's tears, that can lighten one's load, and can abundantly bless one's heart. It enables us to survive conflict, to settle differences, conquer fear and doubt, and withstand the storms of life. This peace helps one to face the unfaceable, to bear the unbearable, to endure the unendurable, and to accept the unacceptable. This peace will bring comfort to your soul in times of sorrow and grief. It will add value to your friendships, strengthen your testimony, and impart joy to your life. And I'm so glad this morning that one day About 60 years ago, I met the Christ whom Martin Luther met in 1515 and spent his life proclaiming. And I can tell you that there's just nobody like Jesus. He said, when I'm lonely, he's my company. When I'm weary, he's my rest. When I'm sad, he's my joy. When I'm weak, he's my strength. When I'm afraid, he's my assurance. When I'm insecure, he's my confidence when I'm confused is my wisdom when I'm in danger he's my protection when I'm singing he is my song when I'm preaching he's my message when I'm praying he is my authority and when I'm worshiping he is my Lord and my God let's give him praise